this is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 125. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I'm Lob Ramayasha, and today we've got an awesome interview with Emma Hanashiro, who is editor-in-chief over at Fudakia, and we discuss where the foundations of Fudakia began, we discuss BL manga, we discuss Emma's history in the industry. It's a really fantastic conversation, and we even end off with some recommendations of some titles on Fudakia that you should check out and read. So definitely give this a listen, and then check out Fudakia for some awesome BL manga. Mm-hmm. I think we even talked some 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 piracy stuff in there. That was uh Not indeed. I think that was some of the most interesting bits of the conversation myself. But uh but yeah, no, uh I'm really glad we had Emma on. We've been uh planning for months to have her on, uh truthfully speaking, and I'm glad we finally did. And uh in case anyone, you know, doesn't remember or they may not know, you know, Futakia is a uh, blog slash uh, subscription service for BL manga exclusively. They have quite the selection of titles, and they're constantly adding more stuff. Uh, the the service itself is like six ninety nine a month. Uh, so if you're looking for something that's just exclusively BL manga, uh, this is this is pretty much it. You know, besides stuff like Renta, I guess you know this is uh this is probably the place you want to go to. Uh, and so yeah. Really glad we could have Emma on, and uh, uh, I think uh, I don't think we have anything else to really talk about at the top of the show, so I think we could just get right into it. Indeed. Let's get into the love of some boys. <laughs> I'll keep that in. If you love boys' love, you got to check out the Futakia Library. Their selection includes over 100 titles so far, and they plan to add a lot more. If you're a BL lover, like, that is the place you want to be to read some really great titles. And we're here to talk today with Emma Hanashiro, editor-in-chief of Futakia Manga Planet, about Futakia, their future plans, and just BL in general. Thank you for coming on, Emma. Oh, thank, thank you for having me on. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Also, can I just say uh, thank you for also listening to the podcast, too, that we really appreciate that as well. Oh, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a big podcast listener, so it's always interesting to me to see what uh, manga readers, uh, manga fans are talking about. So thank you for picking up interesting topics as well. Oh, thank you. We, we we really appreciated you uh sending in uh sending in emails about our uh, about manga piracy when we had that topic a little while back. I thought your podcast in particular is really did talk about the complexities of being a manga fan and also like both on the industry side and on the fan side. So it was, it was a pretty thorough podcast and it was it was nice to hear like a more balanced overview, I guess. Well thank you. Oh we could we could have talked about so much more. Oh it's it's <laughs> it's I'm such sure a complex we'll topic. It. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we're we're really excited to have you on to talk about Futakia because uh I haven't had the chance to actually like look through the site like very very thoroughly, but I, I I can see that you guys are doing a lot of really good work on the BL front. Oh, thank you. We're we're trying our best. It's it's been a little tough lately, but we'll keep trying. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, especially with, you know, the current COVID conditions. But like you have announced plans to expand with even more titles going forward this year. Like you've got 35 titles from the Julian Library coming in June. That's really exciting. Yeah, that was uh, was sort of our team right now is really trying to work hard, um, despite the circumstances, to be able to still bring manga to fans. Um, we know a lot of people need things to keep their mind off of the situation, so we keep that in mind while we're working. And how. Yeah, and I think it's awesome that you opened up Furikia and Manga Planet for the month of May for people to check out the library. And I, hopefully they will continue to stay on. I know I definitely will. Oh, thank you. I, I'm I'm glad to hear. Actually, our team um, we're really worried about May because um, due to a lot of time it takes for licensing things to go through, uh, we weren't able to finish the contracts in time, basically for the May releases. So that's why we actually launched the uh, May um, campaign was to hopefully help people learn more about us and also to give those who are currently subscribed to us a sort of present in a way and also a, I'm sorry, gift from our team. That's wonderful. And in addition to all the, you know, great manga you put out, I really enjoy the blog posts like you're doing, like the glossary, the series where you kind of define terms. I really enjoy that series. Glad to hear that, actually. And the Foopedia, that's the name. Yeah, uh, we have... um. I'm really glad that the a lot of people are reading those articles. It was actually, uh, when we were creating for Tech Year, it was definitely something we kept in mind as part of an important aspect of for Tech Year. Um, so glad people are reading them and learning things and maybe sort of building their own knowledge, but also coming up with their own views of what BL and sort of BL culture is. They are sometimes difficult terms to define just because, you know, in fandom you get different terms thrown out for like different comics and you're like well what category does this fit in but i think these articles do a great job of defining terms and like where they came from like whether their usage is relevant now how they're applied i think they're really great and educational and in general i really love the editorial content on the site including interviews with various mangaka and uh, the Scan Leader Speak series I thought was really fascinating to read too. Oh, that's that's great to hear. I'll be sure to let our team know. It's really thanks to our, um, our producer as well, Gladys, for really uh, bringing a lot of those articles here. Um, up until last November, it was really just me trying to pull things together, but we, we brought another team member to help. Uh, and Gladys has been a great amount of help and so grateful she's here. So I'll be sure to let her know. Awesome. But on that subject, I would like to kind of turn attention to you and just ask about your manga origin story. Like, how did you get into manga? And from there, how did you discover and get into BL? Oh, how did I get into manga? I, I guess it really starts with, um, like, I, I'm sure most fans, like most manga and anime fans of a certain age remember when Pokemon came. And so I was, yeah. I was uh, about five years old um, when Pokemon became really big. And um, my family is Japanese-American, actually. Um, we're fourth-generation Japanese-American, but we don't... My parents don't speak Japanese, and um, there isn't... Like, we do have, like, some of the Japanese cultural aspects still. Um, just 
a lot of things changed after the war. So um, when I was younger, like anime was actually a way to sort of came into contact with a lot of Japanese culture that I didn't have growing up. Um, wow. So I, yeah, so I picked up a lot. Like when I was around five, I got really into Pokemon. Um, just like the anime and games. I was a, I was sort of a slow reader at the time, so I didn't read that much until maybe I was around 10. And that's when I was uh, one of those kids that stood in front of the bookshelves and borders <laughs> reading manga. Um, so oh, my manga origin stories is basically haunting borders. And uh, luckily, um, my family sometimes went to areas where there was book off. I'm not quite sure if you're familiar with book off. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we would go to Book Off when I was growing up, and I would pick up like used copies of Japanese manga, but I couldn't read it as a kid because I didn't know Japanese. So um, I would just pick up the manga and sort of read, try to read that, and then also read the English volumes at Borders. Um, I know a lot of people first encountered manga through scans and things like that, but my family's internet was too slow at the time. Um, <laughs> so I actually read a lot of manga on in print. Nice, mm. nice. Which was lucky, like, yeah, uh, I was only allowed to buy one volume of manga a month when I was growing up. Oh, wow. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah I mean, same. yeah, my collection <laughs> growing was pretty slow when I was a kid, too. I definitely did not buy a whole lot. And fast forward to today, where I have shelves upon shelves. Yeah, same. I mean, look, you, 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 Emma, you had me at Borders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, anytime anyone mentions Borders, I, I just, I, I just have this wave of nostalgia, like, wash across me. And I remember, and I remember all the times where I would, I would go up and sometimes not buy any of the manga. I, I was one of those guys who just kind of hang out by the, by the manga section. <laughs> but then when I, when I would have the money, yeah, I would only be able to buy so much yeah so much every other month or whatever especially when over here when uh you know at the time i was uh you know collecting one piece mm -hmm. and uh viz over here started up their one piece speed up where they did like five volumes a month yeah. for about six months no way you can oh. drop fifty dollars a month for six yeah. months consecutively no, it's it took me about two years to catch up on my One Piece collection <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Oh, man. I guess... Oh, I forgot one important aspect, actually. Like, around the time when I was at Borders, I also started going to the library a lot just because... Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would be yeah. just brought there as a kid. And amazingly, our teen librarian tried to make sure we had a very uh, up-to-date manga collection at our library. Oh, and that's so, awesome. yeah, so I grew up reading uh, classics like Girl Got Game and Here is Greenwood. Um, oh, those are classics. Yeah, I, I oh, those man. those are like some of the formidable series, actually, um, when I was growing up. I didn't start off reading BL, but I read things that might lead up to BL, I guess, in a way, is to put it. So like Clyde Captain Sakura, um, who was another one? Uh, Hanakimi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Old On High School Host Club. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, those all have BL elements. I mean, Yukita, Toya, Inkar, Captain Sakura is like a genuine relationship. They were my favorite characters in the original series. <laughs> but at the, at the time, I didn't know. I, I grew up in a very somewhat conservative family, so I didn't really know a lot about like um, same-sex relationships or things like that. So reading manga actually really opened my eyes a lot to that type of thing. Just because of just the conservative like background we had, um, but yeah, so it was Borders in the library. Really, was the were the foundations of my uh, manga like entrance, I guess. And did you discover your first BL titles through either Borders or the library? So definitely. 
that one was a book off situation, I think. Um, I just, I was wandering around book off because all, everything was in Japanese and I didn't really know Japanese that well. And so I would just pick up manga and I, I think I just accidentally picked up, um, like a BL manga and just like looked at the pictures and just like, huh, I wonder what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting. Um, but yeah, so I think the first one I read, like I just picked up and had, I still have in my house was, uh, Brothers by, um, Kotetsuko Yamamoto. <laughs> I have the volume actually in my apartment now, but that was definitely an early memory BL manga. <laughs> what really attracted you about that story? Like, what was it about and what really fascinated you about it? It was just, at the time, it was something I hadn't read in the past. And I don't read a lot of, like, traditional shoujo manga, actually. And so, I guess the romance aspect not connected to shoujo manga attracted me at the time when I was younger. Interesting. So, from there, what other titles did you discover? What other titles did I discover from there? So there was a little bit of a lag because I was trying to still learn Japanese at the time. <laughs> but there were also scans. And like, I, I'm sure everyone has read scans. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's no being around the bush. There's no need to like be modest about it. Like at some point when you're a fan abroad, you probably have read scans. We've all done it. Yeah, we were all young and didn't know better. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it's definitely like a, uh, like a, a dark history. <laughs> Sorry, sometimes I forget the, <laughs> Because uh, I work in Japanese, I sometimes forget the English words, but English is my native language, so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then afterwards, like, I did read a lot of, like, um, like, Haruko Komoto uh, Sensei's, um, like, BL. So, like, Shinjuku Wakiho um, was definitely, like, a formidable title back then. Um, Yume no Kodomo is a series that I love with all my heart and have, like, at my home that I read occasionally. Um, the clip on the ju- jumping block jumps. Uh, the clip on the chopping block jumps twice is a series that just got picked up by Seven Seas, I believe. Um, and that was that's not traditionally a BL manga. It was published in a Jose manga, but it was that was definitely like one of the core se- like core like manga I read at the time when I was like still developing my BL tastes. Um, or Yaoi as we called it back then. I think that brings up an interesting question. Then, like, how would you define BL versus other subgenres? So if we're just going, like, in sheer practicality, like, if it's just published in a, a BL magazine, like, in Japan, like, a, as defined by the industry, uh, a BL magazine, that's just what makes it a BL. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if the artist just says it's a BL, then, okay, sure, it's a BL. Like, I think a lot of people, definitely nowadays in fandom, there's a lot of people trying to define these terms and try to like say this is BL, this is Yaoi, this is Shonen I. But um I just try to go with the more simple idea of like how was it published in Japan? Okay, it was labeled that in Japan, so I guess this is what it is. And in Japanese bookstores there is just a BL section, so that is kinda the official term, the genre of male male relationships. Yes. It's definitely the the catch all category used um industry side. That's interesting to hear because, like, I definitely, you know, in school and stuff, talking amongst my friends, you know, about this kind of stuff. And, you know, my friends always referred to a million different kind of terms like BL Yaoi and Shonen Ai. And I, I, I never, I, I never really knew which one was like the, 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 the term, I guess. I just kind of assumed they were all kind of like synonymous or like, or I never really knew if there was any difference or. 
Mm. There is, like, historically, like, if we were to just go, historically speaking, just in practicality and usage in Japan, um, like, BL is the industry-related term. The term yaoi, which is used by a lot of uh, fans overseas, was a term that was developed prior to BL and used mainly, like, in relation to a lot of fan works. At the time, it wasn't... It wasn't, it wasn't just related to male-male content, but it gradually over time became connected to it. Um, shonen Ai is a very specific, like, time period-esque term. It's related to, like, the, it's related a lot to, like, um, manga, like, shoujo manga at the time that had, like, male-male relationships, usually between, like, young boys, actually. Yeah, like, Motohagyo stuff, Keiko Takemiya, like, the Poe clan, you might classify as that. Yeah, so like Sean and I definitely, we actually have an article um, on our blog now that breaks down all these terms. And we, we're slowly baking, like going through the like sort of etymology and history of all these terms. Like in Japan, these terms are very like connected to history in a way, like the development of the genre itself. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. While overseas, there's more of a, his- a historical aspect to these terms. Like these terms all... K- sort of yaoi came first and then bia. Like, these terms came at disparate times, and their usage reflects that as well. And, yeah, no one really knew how to categorize certain series as, so different terms just get thrown around, divorced from the context they came from in Japan. But I do think that an interesting key difference is that Boy's Love was coined by like an official publication image magazine and then was adopted into widespread usage whereas shonen ai and yaoi are more fan terms in terms of like they came from fan circles so i think that interesting colloquial difference is pretty key yeah and i think there's a lot of i think the usage of term oddly like how people use these terms also reflect the generation in a way like it's definitely in the West. I think there was a fan survey recently. I have to try to find it again. That said, a lot of people who are a little bit older in the BL fandom actually use the term BL more rather than Yaoi, while people who are younger tend to use the term Yaoi oddly. That's interesting. I think that when I was becoming a fan in the two thousands, I was seeing Yaoi thrown around more. Yeah, and yes. I think that its usage was probably because. It was pretty alliterative with Yuri in terms of labels. And so if people wanted to compare the two, they had like Yaoi and Yuri, both start with a Y, alliterative. But I think Boy's Love is like kind of more accurate to describe like the broad spectrum of works in the genre. I guess what's most interesting actually is how fandoms over like outside of Japan, how they try to define the genres based off of how much erotic content is in it, how much adult content is in it. Like, people tend to categorize yaoi as having, like, hardcore sex scenes and stuff in it, while um, things that tend to be called shonen ai tend to have, like, zero to, like, light, like, fluffy um, scenes instead. While in Japan, there isn't that, like, they demarcate just, they say, like, some things have a certain level of eroticism, but, like, they're all still BL, no matter how much erotic content is in it. Mm-hmm. They're within like the genre, like there are different extremes in terms of that content. And that is like kind of dependent on the audience it was made for too, from the perspective of the author, like who are they were writing it for, probably. I guess like, it depends because the, the way that like, if you are you familiar with the website Chiru Chiru or uh, ChillChill.net? No, I'm not. 
So that's actually like one of the top websites in Japan for BL uh, manga it, um, and BL content in general. It's it's a it's called like the BL commercial portal. That's like the official English like tagline attached to it. But there it has all the ways that BL is sort of subcategorized as well as defined by like they it's um they in Japanese it's erodo, which is like the level of erotic content. I think in Fitekia we also have a similar range that we try to convey of like erotic content through the chili peppers. Yeah, the spiciness level. Yeah. The spiciness <laughs> the spiciness level actually that is based off of Chiru Chiru Nets. Like we came up with the idea based off of how Japan defines the erotic content in BL. Okay. Oh nice. That's a really cute way to kinda designate hey this has some uh spicy stuff in it it yeah. might be too hot to ha- for you to handle i, th- I think it's pretty neat yeah <laughs> that, that's good well i it was definitely um when we were first coming up with it um my bosses were very uh they don't they're not that familiar with bl actually so i had to do a lot of uh like talks with them about how BL fandom works, or like what the BL reader wants, and things like that. And so, like trying to tell them, like, oh, these chili peppers are necessary, and they were just like, chili peppers? What do you mean, spicy? What? <laughs> like- <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you had to just show them a whole new world. <laughs> oh, it's definitely. It was definitely a learning process. Um, like at the time, I work in the to- like our office has two offices. We have one in the home. The home office is in Niigata, and our- we have a Tokyo office. So I'm in the Tokyo office. At the time, I was the only woman in the office physically. Mm. Oh my gosh. And I was also the youngest. So that was an interesting sort of cultural experience in a way. I was also the only foreigner at the time in the whole company. Wow. Wow. So not so much now. Like we have one more uh, hire who, like one more employee now who's not from Japan as well. And she's also uh, a woman. So that's, it's very nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, at the time it was quite lonely. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's great that you have a fellow Fujoshi compatriot to work on now at Fudakia. Uh, yeah, like, I, I'm not quite sure if she identifies herself as Fujoshi, but she, she's very familiar with the content, so. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, so I can't remember where I was going about that. Sorry about that, I sort of trailed off. No, that's okay. No worries, but you've studied and researched a lot about BL and become incredibly well-versed in it. And in uh, university, like I read in your bio, that you researched contemporary BL subgenres. So can you describe like some of that research, some of your findings? Yeah. So um, when I was in university, oh, what a time. Um, <laughs> there was a time when I wanted to go to graduate school and become an academic in this like field but actually like the the study of Japanese pop culture and the study of BL is actually quite saturated in a way so it is sort of difficult to find your own voice I think sometimes in just how the academia is now who are like the premier BL scholars you would say oh I would definitely recommend things like by James Welker um he's definitely a scholar up there right now. He's very active in Japan right now, releasing books about like BL culture abroad, as well as looking into the history of things too as well. And there's there's quite a number of um, like Japanese scholars as well. Like Akiko Mizuguchi, I think, is one who also has publications in English. Um, I'll try to send you um, a link as well of her stuff later on. But there, there are quite awesome. a fair number of like academics now. And so there was a mistaken period of time in my life where I wanted to be an academic um, <laughs> about BL. Um, 
And at the time, I studied a lot about like subgenres, but also I studied um, like my research was really about how the publishing industry itself, or how like the BL industry side, along in tandem with the sort of fandom and like the consumer end, really create the BL subject or like the <laughs> this is gonna get too complicated, like the BL fan, like between like. I guess the a more concrete way to explain it, like in Japan, there's a lot of books that come out, a lot of publications that come out explaining what BL is, explaining what the history of BL is, um, what the terminology is. Like, there's even a book that came out, like that was basically like common experiences BL fans have, and like you read the book and you're like, oh yeah, I've had that experience as well. <laughs> um, like these books come out, and there's a lot of like self reflection, and there's a lot of sort of creation of a history and sort of a culture propagated by the public, like the industry side itself, along with fans. Interesting. Yeah, so I was sort of studying that um, like aspect, that history and sort of the development of things like that. And I think in like overseas, because there wasn't as much of an industry lead, like there wasn't, the commercialization of BL wasn't as big as a result fans were really the main players in developing bl culture abroad that's interesting so in japan it's really publishers and the community working together to create this space to create this fandom and archive its history and development whereas in the west it's all through just fan efforts to chronicle history and promote this these work there is definitely that yeah i think the, it, it's difficult to make, make generalizations, I suppose. Um, there are like plenty of probably counter examples and things like that. But generally speaking, like on the industry and like in Japan, there's definitely, um, like the, the publishers do have a big standing, but also artists themselves. And like they're all work, not working together, but they're all in communication with each other. Well, I think abroad, I think sometimes publishers have a hard time communicating with the fan base. Do you think that might be changing now as we see more BL titles being licensed and released over here? This has their sublime line and we have Seven Seas releasing more titles every year and other publishers too. Yeah, I think right now we're actually in an interesting like transition point, I believe, because there is so much like almost every week it feels like there's a new BL in, like a BL manga being translated in English, basically, because of like works by Venta, things like Manga Club, Us, like Sublime, like everyone's trying to publish BL now. Like we're definitely, there's going to be a huge, not library, but a huge amount of BL manga available in English weekly. And yet we still have a lot of scans still happening. So <laughs> I think we're, we're in a sort of transitionary period, and I guess we'll see how things go from here. I, I'm sure COVID will have a lot of impact in this growth. Like I, I wish we could have seen what what this year would have been like without COVID nineteen. Like <sighs> Yeah. But yeah. Well, I guess then to skip ahead, how has COVID affected kind of the operations at Fudikia and at the manga industry at large? Do you think it has slowed down growth and development to a significant degree? Significant degree might be saying a little too much, but definitely has slowed down growth. And just the sheer fact that, like, publishing, like, I'm sure publishing everywhere, but manga publishing, it's, it is, it comes down to just person to person contact, like, like talking to people, having meetings, meeting in person and building trust through those meetings. Um, as a result of just not being able to meet people or like not being able to communicate directly, it definitely has hampered 
the speed at which we can license things and can work, unfortunately. Um, we're trying our best. Our team is trying, really trying our best to catch up. But there is, like, I'm sure everyone's feeling pressure everywhere, just stress and pressure just in their individual, like, in their personal lives and the professional lives. And so it, it, we're also experiencing that as well. And the Japanese publishers, I think, are struggling to just even meet within Japan needs, let alone the overseas needs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure communication is incredible hassle. And then to continue working remotely is also a bit stressful, especially, you know, an industry that, you know, depends on communication regularly with other people in order to create books. Yeah. So it's definitely something that we're, we're working on and trying our best to overcome. But, um, yeah, like, I'm, it's just, it's just hard on everyone, I think. So most definitely. Yeah, but I do think that we will be seeing more BL continue to come out. And I think it's an interesting point you brought up with like Scanlation that it seems like publishers are now trying to kind of catch up to the gap that Scanlation has kind of had in terms of the lead of translating titles. And I hope we will see that gap be closed, you know, as more official translations are released and made available for people to read and purchase. It's 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 sort of similar to the situation with like Shonen Jump here in in North America, right? Where it's like the the the, the more the more Jump we get simul published now, you know, thanks to Viz Media and the Shonen Jump app, you know, the 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 less the less likely that those titles will get you know scanlated. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah, I mean, it yeah. Ultimately, just has to get to a place where. The content is available so readily and easily for people officially that they won't need to turn or feel the need to turn to unofficial sources and scanlations. Yeah, I mean, I think one challenging aspect actually is just like we're speaking about manga publishing in English and when we say manga publishing in English, like we tend to focus a lot on the United States market, but because we hold things up to the United States market standards, it definitely doesn't serve well for other countries that might speak English, but don't have the same resources or the same like circumstances as the, as fans in the United States. So I think that's also a challenge. Like we, we're based in Japan and we want to reach fans, um, globally, but it's a struggle to try to be able to meet the needs of so many different disparate circumstances. Oh, yeah. Right. Sure. And not just English speaking or English readers, but like ideally you'd be able to reach, you know, readers from different countries with different languages, Spanish, French. So the effort to globalize, you know, is kind of a long and daunting one because it's more than just the English language market. Yeah, it's actually quite difficult, I think. But there's a lot of players now out doing their best, so we'll see how the rest of the year goes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I constantly see people who you know, and I, and I I I feel for them who you know feel really left out of uh, you know some some of these services because they're just not available in their country. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know. As, as as much as I feel kind of sorry for them, but you know, Rome wasn't built in the day. Like you know, this this stuff unfortunately takes time. Yeah, I think definitely like just the sheer speed and lack of overhead that scanlation aggregator websites have. They definitely have a heads uh, like a head start. Unfortunately, um, 
Yeah. Like, because, like, when you're doing a legal service and you're trying to make sure everybody gets paid and you're trying to make sure, uh, like, everything is, like, above board, like, we can't work with the same amount of speed, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, it's 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 easy when you, you know, don't have to pay anybody. Yeah. <laughs> As they say, slow and steady wins the race. And I'm sure that, you know, we will one day get to the point where we will be able to read all sorts of manga officially, like, worldwide. It's just a lot of hoops to go through to make that happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I hope we can make it there. We'll see. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> but to just return to the subject of your university studies. So you wanted to become an academic. You uh, studied BL writing your uh, thesis paper on BL, research paper. Yeah, it was, I guess it was a, a senior thesis at the time, yeah. Um, so I wrote my senior thesis, and at the time, my parents didn't know what I was writing my senior thesis about. Um, and they didn't want, they, they weren't really sure, like, what I was into, really. Um, was that hard to explain to your parents? Have you, have you actually, like, like, do they, how, how much do they know, I guess? That's, that's what I'm kind of interested in. Oh, uh, I'll get into that. Um, like, my parents <laughs> had a general idea that I liked, uh, like anime and manga and things like that. They just never, they were never sure what it was. And so like, do you, you're familiar with the anime Free, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love Free. When I was in college, I really liked Free. And my mom like didn't really, wasn't familiar with what Free, like the appeal of Free was. She was just like, oh, maybe. <laughs> really? Maybe. Yeah. And so she was like, oh, maybe my daughter's interested in men. <laughs> and so she got <laughs> me a Free poster. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I know my daughter likes swimming, but. <laughs> yeah. So she got me, she got me a Free, like, cloth tapestry from Kinokuni, I think, um, for my birthday. And she was just like, oh, I know you like this anime. Like, here's a Free tapestry. I'm like, oh, thank you, mother. Thank you so much much how spicy was that uh, tapestry it was <laughs> it was relatively spicy i thought i was just like <laughs> my mom doesn't i don't think she really understood the appeal for me at the time because like <laughs> I, I like i i do like i am mostly into original bo works but there was a time when i did like like sort of like um uh english word english word like shipping people and things <laughs> like that so so in in japanese they say coupling um for mm. oh. Makes sense. For cool. shipping. Um, what was I going to say? Um, so I was working on my senior thesis, and then I had a senior thesis presentation, and my parents came. But I didn't explain to them ahead of time what my presentation was about, and I think I forgot that they were coming. So I did a senior thesis presentation that was all about BL, and they were just sitting in the front row, sort of shocked. They were just like, my daughter spent the last four years studying what? And then all the all my professors came up and they said, oh, your daughter like put a lot of work into this studio thesis about BL and that's such a fascinating topic. Da, da, da. And they were just like, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome that you got so much support from the faculty. Oh, they were quite um, open to it. I'm very thankful for the Asian Studies Department at Pomona College at the time. <laughs> but um, that was definitely um, a, a awakening moment for my parents. And they, they are aware of uh, I am, like, the work that I do for Fatekia. And I sent them the link to Fatekia when it first launched. And my mom was just like, oh, thank you, Emma, for sending this. Like, when will you do manga that's not BL so I could send this to my friends? <laughs> <laughs> wow um but yeah they're, they're relatively okay with it i think um but that's uh, great yeah but in terms of Fiteki itself like Fiteki came out first and then manga planet so they were able to get the manga planet link later on 
Well, after your transition, you know, from college to, you know, uh, work, I mean, you worked in a bunch of different like media research, editorial data management, like kind of roles at various different media companies. You were a news intern at ANN for a while. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what drew you into that field and into working in online media spaces? Well, I was a sophomore in college when I realized I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I became quite desperate um, to get work experience, actually, like, uh, like sort of resume with the work experience, but also just things to help me get a better idea of what to do post-graduation. And so that's when I did the internship with ANN, Eleven Arts, and then later on I did some with Anu and um, like uh, multiple other like other places as well, just to gain experience. But what drew me? I think it was just by chance, honestly. Like I sent out the application, I was accepted. So I, I'm I'm sorry that's not really much of a like a a driven story, but. Well, uh, did you learn like anything interesting there that kind of has helped you in your role as editor in chief at Futikia? Like in terms of researching, uh, collecting data and stuff. I definitely think the experience at ANN sort of gave me more a more rounded, a well-rounded, well. Not well-rounded, but a more broader view of, like, the fan spaces and how, like, information from Japan disseminates amongst people abroad, basically. That's really interesting. So what did that position entail? Like, Oh, as an intern? Your, yeah, yeah, as an intern, like, in terms of collecting news and, like, writing up articles. Well, I'm, I'm not quite sure if the internship position has changed a lot, um, since I was there. It's been, it's been a, it's been a time. But, um, like at the time, like you're, you're doing a lot of, um, like formatting press releases, like press releases, um, like pulling together just the general articles that will be out, like posted. Like there's, um, you're doing a lot of like article writing, some, a little bit of translation. Um, and you're working with the editors as well to like create these articles. So you, you get writing experience, you get like sort of general ideas of where news about Japanese pop culture can be found basically. Um, along with also just understanding of press material, um, like how Japanese pop culture businesses in America. So, try to do marketing or like format the press releases and stuff like that. So you sort of see hands on like what the industry stateside is trying to do along with like trying to cater to news for the fans. Like it's not, it's, it's, I'm not doing a very good explanation of the job because really you're just sitting at your computer like typing a lot, but. Um. I getcha. And I'm sure like the experience like learning the format of an official press release has helped like writing official posts on Futakia. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, also, like, this is, this is just personal, like, background information. Like, my, my family was involved in a lot of newspapers. Um, mm. like, my dad works for USA Today. And so, growing up, like, I had a lot of just sort of talks at the dinner table just about how, like, newspapers are going online and sort of the transition of, like, the, like old print to online media is happening and how it's impacting people's lives and things like that. So like I grew up at the dinner table just hearing like, am I never joined the, um, like never joined, never do journalism. Like it's a dying industry. Like online news is taking over and things like that. So I, I think that definitely influenced a lot of, uh, my career choices since. 
That's a great background to have. Oh, I mean that that's really just luck of the <laughs> luck of being born, I guess, but But you had a lot of great other experiences too. I'm interested in your eleven arts internship because it, you said on your LinkedIn that you created a database that had over one thousand anime manga and media related organizations in it. What was creating that like? Oh, that was just so at the time I think Eleven Arts then is a lot different than the Eleven Arts now. Um, I think like a lot of the people that I worked with at the time like split off and did their own company since. So my experience back then is probably a lot different than what it's like now. But um, at the time they were doing like, trying they were trying to do a lot more grassroots uh, marketing, I think, and so they really wanted to know what like what the online communities was around manga. And so like I would just it 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 takes a lot of just going to different university websites and seeing what the clubs were. Uh, trying to find the contact information of what they were doing and also like going on Facebook pages, going on different like online, like what, what might be like a physical just online spaces, like finding their website, just trying to figure out what they were doing, trying to see what their interests were and also like putting this all in sort of a database that like 11 nights at the time could use to figure out if they would want to be involved, like if they would, if they were interested in screenings of different anime movies at the time and stuff like that. So that's really cool. Do you know if they ever reached out to any of those local clubs or anything? I think so, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, so that was a that was an interesting experience. That was a that was a summer internship um, at the time. Was that a demanding project or like how time consuming was that to go to all these different like sites and find their clubs and stuff? It was quite a bit time consuming, um, but I was just the random intern in the office, so. Um, I couldn't do like the like legal work or any of the heavy lifting work at the time. So, but it's definitely it did take a, quite a bit of time to do it. And so, how did you transition from like all these early work experience to working at Fanta Zista, and then like the kind of early days of getting Fudakia off the ground? Ah, <sighs> so let's see. So after I graduated college, I went on. At the time, it was a. I, I wonder if they still have this program. Like the United States government has like a critical language program for Japanese, um, so it was funded by the State Department, and so I went on that program right after college. And basically, from that point on, I I have been living in Japan. So yeah, I went to sort of the critical language uh, Japanese program, and then I entered the. <laughs> it's a long name. It has a diff- different name in Japanese, I think, but it's the Inter-University Center for Japanese Studies. Um, and this was still during the time when I was like debating whether or not to go to grad school. So I had taken like the, the grad school, like equivalent of the SAT. Uh, what was that? The, uh, I can't remember G-Mat? what the test is called. Yeah, I took the GMAT. Um, I was like looking into grad programs, thinking about maybe going to grad school. So I entered this language program, this year long language program in Yokohama. Um, to sort of sharpen up my Japanese um, and also to get a better idea of like if I wanted to go to grad school, basically. So luckily I, I received scholarships and things like that. So I was able to do that program. And at that program, it's a, a lot of grad students go there for a year doing the graduate degree to sort of learn the Japanese they need to do to finish the thesis, basically. And so I talked to a lot of grad students at the time and that sort of taught me maybe I'm not suited for grad school. Um, 
they sort of warned me off going to grad school. Actually, one of the best advice, like at the time, uh, I met a professor named James Welker, who I mentioned earlier as a researcher of BL. And I asked him, like, what is it like to be studying BL? And like, what's the job market look like for people in grad school? And he's like, do not go to grad school, basically. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Pretty direct there. Yeah, he was very direct. And I, I'm very thankful for that, actually. Like, I'm very thankful that he was very honest and very direct about that. Um, and so during that year, I sort of focused more on maybe trying to enter the industry end of things rather than the academic end of things. And so after that, I joined the JET program for a little bit. I'm sure you've heard of the JET program. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yes. I was one of those rare Tokyo JETs. Nice. Yeah. So I was a Tokyo JET and also at the time trying to like gain like volunteer experiences or just different like sort of just related to my I, I love manga and I always wanted to work in something related to manga. So I was just trying to see what jobs were available for like for foreign people in Japan related to manga. And just by chance I found a job like by chance um there was a job listing for a fantasista at the time, which uh our company is a little unusual, I think. Um I'm not quite sure how how familiar people, people are probably aren't familiar at all with it, actually, that I think about it. But uh, Fantasista is a CG animation company for the most part. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. They work on some games, they work on films, they work on VR YouTubers, I think. Like, they do a, a wide variety of projects. Yeah, they're a multimedia company. I am interested in, if you know, like, why they decide to expand into the manga space as well, outside of, like, producing CG so our uh, our company president actually just loves manga. Like he's a he's a hardcore manga fan. He he lives in Niigata, but he comes to Tokyo. He comes down to Tokyo, and during the times that he's coming down to Tokyo, he just reads a lot of manga. Like, and he's also a type of person that only needs a certain amount of time to sleep. I think so. Like, he just reads constantly. I think <laughs> this is what we like to hear. Yes. Yeah, so he's he's he is a hardcore manga fan, and so his dream, I think, was at the time when I was joining the company, like part of his dream was to sort of have a manga division in the company that could be connected to the animation side as well. Oh, sorry, like uh, the original question was how I joined the company, and so I just applied for the job. At the time, they wanted someone to run the Manga Planet blog. Uh, Manga Planet has existed since 2012 as just sort of a side project um, to do research on manga fans and how manga publishing works in countries outside of the United States, basically. Okay. And so they did a lot of studies like in Thailand and in India and in all sorts of um, like Southeast Asian countries as well to sort of understand the needs of manga fans there. Cool. So they're looking at like the international market, you know, outside of the yes. United States. And then seeing like what kind of needs there were there in terms of, you know, getting content out to those countries or just what the c culture is like there. Yeah. And so at the time when I joined the company, there was Manga Planet, the Facebook page, and there's also Manga Planet India, which is the uh, like India based branch of Manga Planet. And so I was supposed to run the Facebook page and also the blog at the time. And they were trying to come up with some sort of manga related service. Um, but there was, there was still just like trying to come up with different ideas and I joined the company. Let's see, what year was that? That was December of 2017 is when I joined Fantasista. And then around February of 2018, I came up to my, to our company president. I was just like, 
why don't we just have a service just for BL manga? Um, at the time of my interview, they, 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 they've known since the beginning I love BL. Like, I, I sat down <laughs> in my interview and I was just like, I love BL manga. Um, I wrote my senior thesis about uh, BL history and sort of the construction of the Fujoshi. And uh, that's just who I am. And so they've known since the beginning of time um, <laughs> that I liked BL. And so they were just like, oh, well, tell us, like, come up with a plan and we'll see how it goes. So I proposed, like... What would become Fatekia, basically. I proposed a subscription-based legal manga subscription service around um, sometime mid-2018. That's awesome. I mean, Fudekia was your brainchild and your baby. And so, like, what was, like, kind of the process of coming up with that proposal? Like, what did you have to include in your pitch? Um... Like I don't, I don't think our company is a good measure compared to how other Japanese companies might be. Um, this is definitely not known at all. I don't think, but our the our company president started off as a teacher, actually. Mm. Um, oh. Yeah, he worked. He worked at a he worked at a school in Niigata. What he a lot of the a lot of my coworkers were his former students, actually, and so he's a lot more just sort of open minded in a way and sort of wanting to hear ideas of how uh, people abroad need read manga and things like that. So he was very open to hearing more about like what BL fans need. And so at the time when I was developing the plan, I had to do a lot of research. Like this is like, I did a, I think we did like, I talked to a lot of fans and things like that and come up, come up with a report basically saying like, this is the state of like being a BL manga fan as of 2018 basically. Interesting. Yeah. And so then based off of that plan, we sort of built up what the goals would be, like our mission and how we would basically build this aspect of um, Fidekia at the time. So I think in your original question you had written, um, it started off as a blog and how did it transition. It actually, from the very start, it was supposed to be a subscription service. The blog started first just, just like to have something, just have the name existing. Mm-hmm. Just kind of put the brand out there and just kind of spread awareness that this was like something you were planning to work towards. Yeah. And so from the very start, Fatekyo had that goal of being a service to try to meet the needs of fans and to try to give people alternatives to scanlations. Um, yeah. It's it's very I'm very grateful and thankful to the my coworkers and my like my boss and our company president for being open to the idea of like having a service catering to BL fans. Yeah, that's really awesome that they are so open to like experimenting and being really creative and like finding a need and just kind of, you know, addressing it. Like that's really awesome. And I think that opening just as the blog first and like kind of building community was also a great strategy like that. Scanlation Speak series, a lot of early blog posts, you know, were really educational and informative, like before, like the first titles kind of launched last summer. Yeah, like that was really like, I'm not sure if you know the website, um, was it Scanlation, the Inside Scanlation. It's a it's a really like in-depth website about the history of Scanlation. And it ended that his the that website sort of stopped updating around 2010. But I think really the history of Scanlation since 2010 is intensely interesting. But there isn't oh, that yeah. much, yeah, there isn't that much um, 
sort of like just uh, not like not that much material out there about it. So like I was <laughs> I was really over overworked at the time, but trying to like make this series happen. But like that that has always been like part of my my dream is to have sort of like a history built up post twenty ten about the state of the manga industry and scanlation and things like that. And did you conduct all the interviews like yourself? Uh, at the time, yeah, not so much recently, but at the time, yeah. That's cool. And like, when you were reaching out to people, like, did you have in mind, okay, I want to have like different perspectives to explore different aspects of like how fans feel scanlation affects the industry, how scanlators feel, how artists feel? Like, I believe that in uh, the one of the posts, like you said that Furikia's like official stance is neutral on scanlation, but we sympathize with artists and writers and believe they should receive compensation. So you didn't like, I thought it was interesting, like in the interviews, like you didn't like grill scanlators, but you did ask like follow up questions, kind of pressing them like if they believe like, oh, scanlation is necessary, it can't be helped, like why they felt that way, which I thought was really interesting and cool way to go about it and kind of understand where they're coming from. Yeah, I wish I wish I had more time to continue that series. Honestly, like I I really enjoy doing that type of work. Actually, um, just I think that just might be like an internal like I don't know academic or maybe journalist aspect that just wants to hear more what people are thinking and how they view the world and things like that. But yeah, at the, at the time, like because we weren't an official publisher, um, we had that freedom to just ask those types of questions. But now, because we are an official publisher, like we do have to have a stance one way or the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, what is Furikia's official stance now? And like, how do you like advocate for supporting official releases and also make that clear to the fans? So we did. I, I'm not. I don't think a lot of people have read it, but um, on our official website, we do have like an official stance regarding like piracy. So the wholesale uploading of official releases, as well as a small mention regarding scanlation. The biggest thing that probably we want to address like from a piracy standpoint is just uploading of official releases because that actually act- actively takes away from artists and from the industry. And in terms of steps that we can do, like we're a relatively small company to say compared to Shueisha or Viz. And so when it comes down to like filing of the DMCAs, like doing all the like just finding the links, registering the links, writing the emails, like that type of footwork, it comes down to me, like my coworker and our intern, honestly, like it, it it's us, like it, it's our time. It takes time. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the Fudakia team then is very small. Is it just three people or how big is the team? Um, so if you go onto like one of our official announcements, you could see all the faces um, of people like in the core team. <laughs> like we have uh, we have our developers, we have our two developers, we have a designer, we have our company president, we have like my uh, he's like the second in charge, and then we also have um, our board member um, Kyoe Narita, who used to work for Viz actually. Um, oh yeah, before yeah. But uh, so we have like as the core members, we also have our partner company DNP as well as uh, as well as many other people who also work with us. So like the core team itself is small, but we also have many people involved as well. Yeah, I'm sure that 
like you will contact, you know, uh, freelance translators and typesetters to work on the translations for the manga? I mean, that's actually a question I had is that do you seek out manga that are already being translated officially or do you license manga and then work to get those translated for Futakia? So, um, like, up until now, basically, we have been licensing the manga ourselves and then working with a translation company to have these translated. So I'm, my end of the thing is uh, doing quality checks and also, like, making sure our company works well with the translation company. At the same time, um, I have a lot of, like, other duties connected to that, but um, we do license the manga ourselves. And so, but with the content, uh, with the manga that's coming in in June, those titles have already been translated in English by Medibon. And so that'll be the first time we'll have manga sort of translated elsewhere in the particular library. That's awesome. Yeah, so we're both like a platform that has, like, is sort of uh, translating, producing, like licensing own content, but also being a platform that has things that are already translated by other places, like other companies. That's great. And how do you like approach like different publishers, authors to host titles on Futakia? And like, how do you select titles? Like, do you just know like what all the different publications are? Who's doing work in these spaces? Um, um I, I want to add. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I, I want to add on to that. I guess, does it matter whether or not they've already been scanned? Is that something you kind of take into consideration as well? That is something we keep, we take into consideration, actually. Mm, okay. Um, it depends, like, uh, how scans impact. Because Futekia is a subscription-based website, and the it's sort of like Netflix in that you view it and that's how the views equal out to the compensation for the artist, like to the royalties of the artist. And so there is a more, there is a higher level of impact scans might have in this type of um, like publishing, as opposed to say how things work maybe with Sublime and things like that. Okay. Right. Because it might impact like how many people actually read a title on Fudikia as opposed to if they had read it elsewhere yes like if they had read it elsewhere they might not read it on Fudikia, and so the views will be lower and then the compensation to the artist wouldn't be maybe adequate for them yeah it's it's a really unfortunate situation like our team can't control the actions of others honestly so it's just it's just how it happens sometimes and so as a result like i keep that like when trying to come up with the proposal to publishers of which titles we should release, I do do a little bit of research as to how, like, how is this title known or if this title is scanlated already prior to approaching the publisher. And I also, on my own, like this as my own hobby, I also see what percentage of titles have been scanlated for each individual publisher and things like that. And that sometimes sort of shocks publishers as well. Oh, man. So does that open their eyes to be like, oh, we need to be more proactive in like issuing like DMCAs on all these scanlation groups? Like, but the thing is, Japanese publishers are very busy themselves. Like, oh, yeah, the, oh, act, yeah, the sure. act, the act of trying to the deal with piracy takes away from the time it takes to create manga. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I imagine the reason why piracy persists and is so widespread in not just manga, but all sorts of different mediums is because it is so time consuming to keep like on tabs with all the pirates and where pirated media is being hosted. 
Yeah. And so you need like a really dedicated legal team to constantly just issue out these DMCAs and like make sure they're like keeping track of what is being uploaded where. And that is kind of exhausting because the Internet is such a wild, vast landscape and you never know like where something is or like all sorts of new sites are popping up constantly. And it takes time also for us to like consult legal things as well. So like it takes time on that and it also takes time to just do the physical work because like we end up having to do the physical work after like consulting that type of situation, like type, like authorities and things like that. So it just takes time that could be better spent trying to create a better service, honestly. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, the best way to defeat them is not to try and take them down, but just to try and create like a space that is just again, more accessible that people just want to go to over the other places. Give them some competition. Yeah, like we're trying, like at the bare minimum, we try to like unwist links at the very least in Google search. Yeah. But like the nitty gritty things is just pretty difficult and frustrating and keeps me up at night. So. Mm. Oh, yeah. Just thinking about like, like I, I do agonize a lot. Like there's only so many titles we could license just because of limited resources, right? And so I agonize over one title of the other. And sometimes it could be the scanlation status that might make the decision, you know? Yeah, that's frustrating, especially if it's, you know, I mean, there are tons of really great titles that I'm sad that might never get officially published or translated because the scanlation was just too significant. And that just keeps publishers away. Have you had any situations, though, where a title may be scanlated, but you think the following for it is strong enough to take a chance on hosting on a Fudikia? Oh, yeah, definitely. That that case also happens. Like it, it, really, it really depends on the title. It depends on the artist. It depends on the title. It depends on the publisher. It depends on many different... Like, there's no... There could be... There are some, like, general guidelines, but it really is title-dependent sometimes. I'm sure the bigger the title, the bigger the artist, like, the more easier it is to drum up confidence that they will be supported. But when it's a title that might not be as well known overseas and things like that, but it was scanlated by a particularly, like, popular group, then... Yeah, the obscure stuff, it always hurts the most, because... On one hand, you understand maybe the scan leader's fan perspective, like, oh, this thing is so niche and obscure, no one will take a chance on it. But then from the public perspective, oh, this niche thing has already been translated by this niche roof that has already read it, and we don't know if they're going to also support the official thing and whether yeah. you know. It's it's pretty complicated when it comes to that. Like I have talked to scan leaders about this, and like everyone has their own views on it. So I just the general guideline. My general guideline is just like if you can just check in with the artist or send a message like, is it okay to translate something? And they can make the decision, but. And I know some people just say, like, oh, it's impossible to contact the artist or it's difficult with the publisher, but just try. <laughs> I don't know. Make an effort. That'd be nice. Yeah, like, I've I've had... So you know how we approach uh, independent artists, like, diligent artists to also um, publish on Fitekia. Sometimes artists are resistant to having their things officially, like, for us to approach them and be, ask them, is it okay to publish your work in English. Like, are you interested in this? Like, here's about us. And they say, like, they had a bad experience with scan in the past and they're not interested at all. 
Yeah, that, that tracks with what we uh, talked with uh, Mr. On Takahashi about last time we had him on. Yeah, like, that's definitely, like, when I talked to Ida, said it's definitely been a response I've received. Like, I, I know people really love the thing, like, love the manga, love the artist. It's just sometimes, like, it is nice to ask permission or consider the larger repercussions, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, you gotta think, uh, fans just need to think about it from the artist's perspective. Like, creating art is very hard. Creating manga is very hard. They put a lot of time, effort into it. They might not be making ends meet but they're still doing this passion project and then any income they could be making on you know this passion project has basically been siphoned off by you know people who say they are fans they generally love to support the work but like by making it like available for free elsewhere they are taking away the artist's ability to like make an income make an, a living doing the work they love and that's really tough if you've put your heart and soul, spent so much time on something, and then you have people read it without, you know, compensating, without helping you continue to make art. Like, yeah. it is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I, ironically, it's counterintuitive. Yeah. I mean, I think there is an important caveat in that, like, I think the impact of scanlators, the impact of scanlation wasn't that great until aggregator websites. Aggregator websites are definitely the foul party in this scenario. Like, it's not... I think there are some scanners who do have good intentions at heart, you know? And who really, like, try to keep their scan secret, try not to have it uploaded on other sites, but just because of the sheer culture that has developed around aggregator websites, a lot of people just upload it thinking, like, it's fine. Like, there's no impact, there's no... Or that the aggregator website is an official site. Like, aggregator websites have blurred the lines, have intensified the impact like these fan translations have like i i don't want to demonize scanlations in that i think it'd be fine if the into like the online landscape was different like there could be a way that it wouldn't be as harmful you know if the if the online manga landscape was different now there is still the issue of permission but th this is just an important aspect as well like permission is also important but also this aggravates the situation i think people need to pay attention to that yeah that's a important distinction to make because you know before aggregator websites were on the rise like fan translations like they may have been spread between like a small niche group of people like it was a small community who was like translating this stuff and reading it for each other but these aggregator websites created a central hub where all sorts of manga are being hosted on there and because the hubs become so popular and a lot of people go there and traffic there and don't support the official releases afterwards, that is like what is taking attention away from supporting the official release and artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've also just come across situations where like the existence of aggregator websites have confused readers and what is an actual like legal source for manga and things like that or where manga even comes from. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people who have grown up reading manga in this age, you know, they just type in the name of their series and what chapter they want to read, and then they find wherever it is. And they think that's, you know, pretty normal. That's like how they have always done it, because that's how they've grown up reading manga. And then they don't realize, oh, these sites, they aren't the official places you need to be going to. Like these are not officially sanctioned, and you're not supporting the artist directly this way. And so it's great that 
you know, sites like Futikia and Manga Planet and then Viz and then all these other legal hubs are being, you know, popping up for people to like actually go and check out series officially. Yeah. See, see, at the very least, I, 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 uh, I mentioned it before. I really wish, at the very least, like if people are going to read scans of stuff that, you know, uh, stuff that isn't licensed, at the very least, you know, you know, stuff like Bookwalker exists, where like if you're reading something unlicensed, you know, more than likely it's, you know, that that title is going to be available digitally on that site in particular. In you know, I'm I'm not necessarily saying that makes it okay or better, but at the very least, you know that. That's a way for people to... Yeah, you're actually supporting the book. Like yeah. If you yeah. buy it off Bookwalker. I think the problem, again, is just kind of education of the community. Like, they, some people might not know about Bookwalker. Not, like, they might not know they could do that. Some people are will remain willfully ignorant. But I think or, a lot of times... Well, you know, some, sometimes it's a money thing, too, maybe. Yeah, but a lot of people, especially like younger fans, might just not know what the official sources are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's why it's a good thing that Crunchyroll, you know, has become as big as it is because now like all young fans pretty much know Crunchyroll is kind of like the place to go for simulcasts. And that is great, you know, that they were able to do that for, you know, legal distribution of anime. And now we just need to see, like, manga sites also kind of rise to that same level of prominence where, like, they become so ubiquitous within the community that people know that's the place they go to read this stuff officially and support the artists. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely, I it will definitely take a cultural shift and... How that will happen or when that will happen, I guess we'll just have to see how it goes. But wait. I want to I, I want to get to a point with manga where where I'm at with anime at the moment where it's like where it's so easy to like stream titles that like it, it just kind of becomes a chore to like, you know, go out of your way to like download a thing or torrent a thing or whatever. That'd be nice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. I don't know. I, 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 th- I think we're getting to a good place, though. Yeah, I I mean, with certain titles, I mean, there's still a lot more work to be done, a lot of other manga to be addressed in terms of other genres. Like, oh, it's great that we have a great hub for BL manga now. I mean, Shonen Jump fans have, you know, this is Shonen Jump site, but, you know, there's still a need for other types of manga to have, like, platforms where, you know, fans can check out a broad variety of works on there, like... I would like to see a hub for shoujo manga, a hub that would, for that would be cool, stuff like yeah. that. In general, like the more manga that are available on official platforms, readily accessible for fans to support and check out, I think is a really good thing. And I think uh, hopefully we will see the industry move more towards that direction. And this is also why we need to support stuff like like uh, Mangamo. We've talked about it a couple episodes ago. Yeah, uh, hopefully they improve their app, though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I guess that's a kind of a sidebar question. If Futikia and Manga Planet are looking into like doing their own app at some point. Oh, we are thinking about it, but I think I mentioned I developed a team. There's only like two people plus my boss, so three people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I imagine I'm, it's going to take a lot of time and probably bringing in more people in because creating an app is a lot of hard work oh yeah i definitely see that that is where a lot of the audience is though like people use apps a lot as they're on the go on their phones so 
What's funny is that we did a little bit of research um, about like if the app exists and things like that. And people were just like, oh, we just want a web browser. So Interesting. Yeah, hmm. it's people's opinions seem to change. Like if one thing exists, they want the other thing. If one thing exists, they want the other thing, you know? Huh. That's interesting. So, I mean, it also might depend on the audience then. I guess that's another interesting question is that have you noticed like any certain trends about like the demographics of people who visit Fudikia and read manga there or even in the type of manga being hosted, like the demographics of creators and audience? Mm, So you're asking about like, I think it's a... Two types of questions going on. So I'll talk about like the the demographic audience, like in terms of the Fitekia library first. Um, so when we were creating Fitekia um, at the time, I really wanted to pick up titles that aren't typically reflected in choices made by other BL manga publishers at the time. And so one of the goals, like my own personal goal, a lot of the time is to show the diversity of the BL genre, basically to show what kind of the range that exists within the genre. And so we try to pick, when we're picking up titles, we try to pick a wide, a balanced and wide range of titles that could appeal to different types of fans. And as a result, I think a lot of our fans tend to be quite diverse as a result. Like, we do have quite a few of older fans. Uh, We do have a fair share of younger fans as well. Like, and we also, another thing is like, we don't try to collect too much personal information from people um, right. as fair. a general policy. So like, we just have a vague idea based off of like what people say on social media sometimes. There seems to be a wide age range amongst our fans and things like That's that. That's awesome. Yeah. Also, I think in general, though, fans that consciously try to support the industry do tend to range on the older end, I think. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, you know, as manga fans get older, they have hopefully more, a little more disposable income. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make gross generalizations here, but that's just something we've talked about, like, in our office or things like that, so. Yeah. But, um, sorry, what was the original question? I think I, I might have lost track of what the original question was. No, I, that was on track with the original question, and... I think it's great that there is such a diversity of the titles in the Fudakia library. Like, reading the titles that you recommended to us, like, there are, like, a diversity of stories about, like, who they are about and then what the stories are about. They are connected all by the common trait of, like, these are about male male relationships, but, like, I think the Fudakia library does a great job of having different kind of stories in different genres that a lot of people can find and discover something that really clicks with them and i really appreciate that and in general i think that the library is doing a good job of kind of showing that bl is for everyone like there is this conception is based in truth that bl is like created and marketed for women but you know there's a lot of variation in that a lot of bl is also created by male authors and then male male readers can also really enjoy it and it that is across sexualities across uh different you know nationalities and i really appreciate that i think there's a lot of great diversity in the library and i'm glad that it's attracting a diverse readership i'm really thankful to hear that actually like we we really started off as experimental, so the fact that we made it this long is just entirely due to the sheer like support and messages we receive from fans. Um, like especially because everyone's working remote now, a lot of our team morale has gone down a bit. Um, just 
in the general climate of things, but every time we get like, um, like a message or an email or anything that just says like, oh, thank you, or just, oh, we read something, like that really just makes our day. Like, honestly, like we can only, our existence is thanks to fans, basically. Like we exist because there was a need, like we wanted to fill a need that seemed to exist like amongst fans and we can only exist if fans still think there's a need for us that's great i'm glad the fan support is incredibly strong and i think it will continue to be as you continue to expand and add on even more new titles uh, we hope so <laughs> i mean already i think the growth from last summer has been incredible. You started out with a, like a long slate of like 17 titles. And then now you're a hundred titles later, a year later. That's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the first, our first week was only 10 titles actually. So I guess we have 10 times it, but yeah, just, <laughs> I just want to, I just want to express like so much thanks and appreciation, honestly, like being able to actually talk to like, your podcast about this is i'm really thankful so thank you for coming on and talking to us about it i mean we've learned a lot and i think that i'm glad to spread the word about food again i can't wait to continue to explore more of the library i guess actually there is one question that you know i want to kind of address is like what is kind of like your daily routine at food like in terms of like what you do day to day and i guess how that has changed in the current climate um <laughs> so i'm just i'm just laughing because like i feel like our team we fell to the ground running basically like we're constantly running um <laughs> ne never so, stopping yeah so routine implies that there's a start and an end right like <laughs> And so just because of the sheer like cycle of things that we have to go through, it doesn't feel like a routine necessarily, just like a never ending to do list. <laughs> oh my gosh. If that makes Every sense. Every day is a new adventure. Every day is just a new to do list. I just you just turn on your computer, like pull out your notepad and see what happens. Um but yeah, like routine. <sighs> That's a good question. <laughs> That's probably the simplest question, yet I find it very difficult to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a lot of different stuff there is to do in terms of general site management stuff and then making sure editorials are like coming together in terms of coming up with ideas and publishing them, but also reaching out to publishers and yeah. negotiating licensing deals. Like, I'm sure there's so much going on every single day. Well, it, it is quite busy. Um, there was a point, like... I have to give caution, like, it is, this is, like, I'm very passionate about my job, and uh, it's something I love to do, and it's something I always dreamed about doing. Um, basically, like, when I was in college, I was just like, oh, it'd be great if this type of site existed. And so, like, I'm glad to be able to make this exist. Um, but, like, I did, like, back in November, I did, I was hospitalized because I just from sheer overwork, like my immune system was just wrecked. And so I had shingles and meningitis at the same time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And so um as a result, like I try to like monitor my workload, but still like there's still a lot of things to do. Mm hmm. Gotta maintain a work life balance just for, you know, your health and yeah. uh, safety. I mean I think I don't know, I feel 
I feel like it's pretty easy for people working in the manga industry to just to just work too much. Like I, 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 I mean, I think that's probably across a lot of industries, but maybe in the anime industry as well. But yeah, like yeah, so that was a little bit of a tangent, but it is a, it is quite a bit of work to make Manga Planet Protecti exist, and so like. I think our team, like after I was hospitalized, I think everyone on our team as well tried to be more conscientious of like workload and things like that. So, mm-hmm. but we appreciate your hard work and then all that you've done to you know get Futagia off the ground and you know continue to grow it as fast as you have. Oh yeah! Like, I mean, we're really appreciated. Like, this oh. is a huge service, and I'm glad BL fans have a place now where they can just check out a, such an incredible, you know, variety of titles. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is it is somewhat of a it is a dream come true, really. It just we'll have to see how things go from here. Like, I I think there was. Do you remember um, J Manga? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. I remember J Manga. <laughs> Like, there is always the ghost of past manga services past, like, oh, like, the ghost of manga services past, you know, and trying to, try to overcome the the struggles that they had and also try to grow beyond, like, what happened. Wow, man. Right. Honestly, J-Manga makes me sad just because if, like, J-Manga was how I found out about Gogo 13. Hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they, I think they had a few chapters in Japanese on their site. But yeah, if it weren't for J Manga, I wouldn't know about uh, about a very classic manga. So it it had its benefits. It is a sad thing, you know, that like creating a subscription site, a streaming site. It is really hard to do. We have seen a lot of ones pop up and close in the past, and like. Uh, one that I really liked was Silent Manga Edition. They were uh, publishing on their site a few titles like Art and uh, Angel Heart, the City Hunter sequel. And they ended up stopping after a while because they just couldn't keep doing it. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that Furukiya, though, seems like it's had success and it's continuing to grow. So, I mean, I'm just hoping, again, for more good things in the future. Like, I think you're doing a lot of really great things, and you've built up a really supportive community. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so far, so good. Just knocking on wood right now. Like, <laughs> I just, I mean, every every day, I, I am quite anxious about whether, like, how long we can keep going, you know? Like, like we do have a lot of support. We do have a lot of, um, like, out, like a, a lot of happy people out there. Like, and we are, we are quite grateful. Like, it's just... Like, we are still in the growing phase, you know? It's still difficult to see how things can keep going. And so, yeah. And, like, I'm sure a lot of businesses are facing struggles, too, now. So, well, so far, so good. But <laughs> hoping, hoping we keep going. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I was going to say earlier, like, um, you know, I, I think Lum and I can agree that, like, we've been really happy with the way, like, manga you know, over in the West in particular has been growing and uh it's 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 kinda sad that like the it seems like the only thing that could possibly hurt it or stop it from growing as exponentially as it has is this is this pandemic. Yeah, it's put a pause on so many things. Cause otherwise without this I, I don't think I don't think it would have stopped. Yeah. 
like in this current climate, I think the best thing you know we can do for each other is just to you know support each other, check in on each other, you know, keep in touch. And uh, just watch out for each other. I think that's the most important thing, like, as a community we can do is just, like, kind of band around each other and support each other, especially, like, in times of crisis and times of need like this. Honestly, I, I think it's kind of important to have some source of entertainment through through all this stuff because it serves as a nice distraction. Yeah, I mean, I guess in part, like, we have the May campaign going, like, because... I, I don't know how things are going. Maybe are, are you all based in the states? I believe. Yeah. yeah. Like I know, definitely in Japan, there is um, there's there's a lot of exhaustion related to uh, just trying to confront the crisis, and a lot of people are sort of there's a fatigue, and so like at least in our office, like we thought, like part of the campaign idea was also just to like try to help people during the fatigue, maybe that could be going on outside Japan as well. But yeah, I mean that's that's all we could provide, honestly. Like we're not we're not like uh, we're not related in the medical industry or anything like that. But that's all that we could try to offer. Yeah, I mean, do what you can to just brighten up someone else's day. I think is just an important thing to keep in mind. You know, there are limits of what maybe you can do. Like, not all of us, you know, have the tools to, like, help someone when they're sick, like, in terms of making them better, like, medically. But, like, you know, do what we can for the other people in our lives and just help make their days a little bit better. I think it's, like, kind of the best thing to do right now. And we all have our own ways of doing that. So. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Anyways, uh, were there any other questions? Or I'm trying to remember here. Well, I think we ran through the questions except for uh, one final one, actually. Uh, so we've been talking like a lot about the Fudikia Library and some of the titles hosted on there. I was wondering, like, what are some of your favorite titles on Fudikia and what titles would you recommend to BL newbies? So my favorite titles, I I definitely have a bias towards characters with glasses. Um, <laughs> it is a discreet tag in the Fatekia library. And that's just because I just asked my boss, like, hey, okay, yeah, that's a tag. He's like, sure. Why? He's like, oh, no reason. Um, <laughs> I love the tags in the library. I think that's a great way to kind of sort through different genres and like different things readers would be interested in. Like, we definitely want people to be able to find something like they're in the mood to read at the time. So we hope that those tags could be helpful, like the bows function could be helpful in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of my favorite, my, one of my favorite titles is Shinjuku Lucky Hole. Like, um, when we first launching, like trying, trying to come up with the titles that we could even license, um, we were talking to Shodensha at the time and I just, I was probably so annoying. I just kept saying, like, could we please, like, is, Sh is Shinjuku Lucky Hole, <laughs> like, possible? Like, the volume two just came out, and I love it. Kept, is it, is it possible? Like, do you <laughs> think, I was probably so annoying to the, to the rights department, um, <laughs> like, international rights department, just how I kept bringing it up. But we did get it, and it is honestly one of my, just, I just, I think I, 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 this is one of the earlier titles I read when I was first getting to BL, and so I probably have like a sort of like a nostalgia feeling connected to it, but it is one of my favorite titles. Um, for titles to recommend to newbies, so um, I think it depends on how adventurous 
this newbie is. If you aren't, um, yeah, if you aren't too inclined to really erotic scenes, like if you if you don't want to see two guys hot and heavy right off the bat, <laughs> um, these are the titles that I recommend. I recommend anything by Ayu Yamane. So perhaps just to narrow it down, like maybe start off with The Stray. Um, that's a really good title. I think people will enjoy if they've never read BL before. And also, it's fine even if it's just a dream. Also by Ayo Yamane. Yeah, that's one you recommended. I really enjoy that one. That was a really beautiful story. I love Yamane's art. Yeah, Ayu... Oh, man. Like, I met her at uh, Jay Garden, which is one of the... Like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jay Garden. It's a... It's like a... It's a komiket for just BL, original BL mm. manga, basically. And I met Ayu there and just asked her, like, are you interested in English, like, publishing your manga in English? And she's like, I've always wanted my manga in English. Like, she actively, she actively is studying English. <laughs> and she's actually going to a, um, she's going to Fujokan, which is a virtual, like, BL-oriented convention as a guest, like, entirely in English. Like, she's very proactive in trying to talk to people overseas and trying to understand like how fans like BL abroad. So like just at, like as an artist, she's very invested in learning more about like BL abroad, but also her works probably are very um, easy for people to read if they've never read BL before. Um, and probably another title, this is, so if you want like more like slice of life adult title, like Ayu Yamane's work is great. If you want something a little bit fluffier, something that has a lot of like in it, like youthfulness to it, um, I recommend Kanekokawa and uh, Koinumaru by yeah. Hal. Yeah, that was also a title. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> she like Hal's work is very um, like very sweet and uh, probably like a nice like edge into what BL could offer, like, in the fluffier side of things. Yeah, it's just a sweet romance between these two kids, and I love the way that she draws hair. Oh, it's so great. Of this. Like, her art reminds me a lot of Bisco Hattori's art. Ah, uh, yeah. just that aspect. Like, really, really beautiful illustrations. Like, the mermaid chapter, really gorgeous. Uh, the way she not only draws, like, uh, Coin Tomorrow in the mermaid form, but just, like, the underwater scene. It's really beautiful. Yeah, like, how puts a lot of work into, like, drawing, like, figure drawing and things like that. Oh, you can tell. Like, her anatomy is really good. I mean, she takes the time to really detail Koen uh, body. <laughs> like, uh, he's got some abs. He's got some back muscles. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, I appreciated it's, that. It's a really impressive, like, just from an art standpoint, it's a very impressive series. So I, I also highly recommend that for first-time readers. And then also, this is a newer, um, sort of, a newer independent artist that has joined us. Um, and I recommend this to people who tend to read a lot more, like, action and sort of shonen titles. I recommend um, Meiro by Midori Iwasawa. It's sort of a sci-fi... Uh, title that has a lot of action scenes and things you don't typically see in BL. It's like a very it's a very um unique title in that regard and I think it'd be Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that really caught my eye when I was searching through the library. It's kind of like 
It reminds me a lot of Doro Head Doro, and I mean, I of course, oh, like, yeah. one of the characters is, like, a guy with a gator head. I mean, he's an alligator man. But yeah, I love the art style in that one so much as well. Uh, now, now, now I'm gonna have to read this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anthropomorphic characters, like, a great cartoony style. One of the characters has, like, such 90s kind of hair. I love it so much. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, like, and also has really, like, insightful, like, like small insights about society and things like that. Like it's a very it's a short title, but very jam packed with a lot of themes and a lot of like just great art. Yeah, Dorhedoro meets B stars as a BL manga. I think that's a good pitch to give. Yes, someone. It's a, <laughs> I really love like I really love Mavo. I'm really thankful that uh, Midori Yosawa was so enthusiastic about having. Like the work published in English, like when we met, they were like she was just so invested in wanting more about how what 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 is the process of like creating manga for an English reading audience, and so that was that was a really great experience just to be able to bring that to Fitekia. Yeah, so that's for uh, like newbies who don't want any hardcore scenes. Um, things with hardcore scenes. This is probably a little bit. Dif- like this isn't your typical BL, but Yuki and Matsu is a good title. I was just looking at that, yeah. Yeah. For those who really want like a really um expansive in- like engaging story that also has like great like art in both like bedroom scenes and outside bedroom scenes, I really recommend Yuki and Matsu by uh Hirenobu uh, Hirebu uh, Takahashi. Uh, just, just judging, judging from the art, does this take place during like the Edo period or? Yes. Ah, okay. Ah, yeah. Cool historical BL. I do like my period pieces, so. It's a, it's a really beautiful, beautiful title that I think um, everyone should read. Yeah. So that's for, that's for the more hardcore. Oh, and also just to, to tack on, like this is just general. Everyone should read this title, like, um, here and there and us by uh, Tanato is an amazing title. Um, like, that won the, like, the number one most yabai BL title this past year. Achira Kochira Bokura in Japanese, but it's, um, it actually started off published as a seinen title, I believe. So, yeah, here and there in us. Great title, like, really great for anyone. Like, even if you don't like BL, I think it's a great title to read. And it's like kind of a coming of age story? Um, sort of, yeah. It's just, it's about the relationship between Majima and Sonaki, like two high school students just becoming friends and sort of how the relationship changes over the course of like a really like tough year for high school students, like when they're preparing for graduation, basically. And so it really like explores how, like how they come to terms of what they feel towards each other and sort of the... It's a really like slow paced examination of a relationship, really. That's wonderful. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing title. It, it the we're currently still publishing it, so the last title the last chapter should be coming out on the twenty seventh, I believe. Excellent. So those are my general pickups. Um if anyone ever wants like a really tailored recommendation, like if you just tell me what you like in general, I could try to come up with 
like roughly what could be something you'd be interested in. But like, I really like giving like personalized um, recommendations. Um, I do that with my partner sometimes. I just like ask like, what do you like? And then I give like really specific like <laughs> title recs, but that's just something I do in my free time. But yeah, anyway, sorry, that went on a little too long. Oh, not no, at no, all. No, not at and, all. And yeah, I mean, I think that's a great set of general recommendations in general. Like, yeah, if you want more specific recommendations, like definitely play around with the tags on Futikia and like select what you're interested in and like see what you discover. Because there is a lot of variety there. I'd also like to throw on the third of the series that you had recommended to us before at uh, 2500 Hours in Akasaka by Hiroko Natsuno. I really enjoy that one too. That was a great exploration <laughs> of like a relationship developing as the characters explore their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I like the concept of like mirroring like how uh, Hayama's like feelings towards Shirasaki changes or uh, actually, Shirazaki's feelings towards Hayama changes over the course of, like, the story, but also, like, mirroring, like, the roles they're playing in the TV show. And, yeah, I just like how that was handled. I like how it's a story, like, about, like, sexual intimacy and then, like, Shirazaki learning about, like, oh, like, and he, his plan is like oh i need to like have sex with a man to understand my role but then Mm -hmm. it's like no i need to fall in love to understand my role and that's that's so beautiful how the story explores sexuality and love in that way i really appreciated that so if you want like a story that kind of explores sex in a really interesting emotional way i think that's a great title to read too Mm -hmm. um i'm glad you enjoyed that title the art is beautiful too yeah (laughs) absolutely yeah, I'll definitely have to. Uh, I'll definitely have to read some of these. Um, like I said, I, I I said off mic. I I meant to read at least something, but I I didn't really have the time this week, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, we'll 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 have to have you back on at some point to maybe just talk about a bunch of BL titles or what. Mm-hmm. Oh sure. I mean, if you have questions about like what's it like working on sort of like the unorthodox, unorthodox like our edge of the be- like the manga industry, like feel free to ask. <laughs> questions i could try to add to the best i can but yeah oh i i have one more question actually it, with the titles in the library it's like what is like one of the longer titles in the library longer titles you mean like just lengthwise or yeah because i'm interested in like the variance of length because a lot of the titles in the library are generally shorter works like one volumers two volumers i was curious about what the longest title so far is so longest title possibly it has to be um how to kill a heart is pretty long yeah it's a you have to i I don't know if this is going on but you have to be comfortable with incest for this title i think oh wow incest Ah, uh sort of adjacent bl titles tend to have pretty uh you know racy themes but it has four volumes okay Um, interesting yeah so it's a four volume title but just sheer like chapters um like here and there in us has a lot of chapters um just because the flow is a lot different than a normal bl manga interesting oh cool well i think that's another cool recommendation point is that a lot of the titles are generally on the shorter end at least if you're you know like as used to reading shonen manga to go on for volumes upon oh, volumes oh yeah i, <laughs> yeah. I guess so. <laughs> i think like it's really easy to check out series on Fudakia and then kind of read through them all like i think they're complete stories that are told at a wonderful pace and feel really satisfying at the end like i especially felt that way with it's fine if 
even if it's just a dream. Like, I really like the scope of that story, how intimate it was just with, between the relationship of the two characters. And, you know, I, I kind of like that uh, Kayahara does, didn't come back into it. Like, after the backstory, <laughs> it was just like Kiyosaki and Sue just like, you know, getting to know each other, living in each other, you know, becoming a couple. I really thought that was a wonderful story about two lonely people, like, finding family in each other. It's really beautiful. Yeah. It is really interesting. Like, this is just a side note. Like, if you, we have a wide range of Ayu Yamane's work in Fatekia. We have a lot of work from her earlier years and more from her later years. You could really see how things, like, just how her art changed, how her storytelling has changed over time, too, which is really fascinating. Um, thank you, Ayu Yamane, for working with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely really excited to explore more of her work. Like, I'm glad there's so many of her titles on Fudikia. She's, uh, I think she's writing a new uh, series now, and I, I really look forward to it. Um, I'm just so, so happy to be able to work with her. <laughs> nice. I'm excited. But yeah, I, I think, I think we're pr- getting pretty close to rounding off here soon, right? I think so. I mean, we ran through a lot of uh, our questions and gave some great recommendations. And again, I just want to thank you so much for coming on and listening up late to talk with us and oh. kind of chat about Fudakia and BL. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on. Like, I, I don't mind coming back, so just let me know. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back on at some point. Uh, oh, this, this was this this was this was a good conversation. I feel like I learned a lot about Futakia and its origins. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there's like a lot I forgot to say, but yeah, <laughs> for, for now, that's what we have. So, and uh, yeah, I believe for uh, uh, I guess if we haven't already mentioned it, you know, for those who have been living under a rock, I guess you know, a Futakia as far as its subscription. Uh, I want to say off the top of my head, it's. I think the subscription is like six ninety nine. Yes, it's six ninety nine a month. Yes. So, and I mean, you, you guys already. I know we we mentioned that uh, you're hoping to have uh, like hundreds and hundreds of titles at at some point in the future. But I I, I think for now, for what you guys have, I think uh, I think six ninety nine a month is honestly a steal. Oh, that's great! Like I, you don't know how many emails we get about people saying like it's not worth the money so ah uh. oh, man i mean look if they don't if they don't think it's worth the money now you know you, you you guys will have more titles in the future yeah we hope so yeah but yeah thank you <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah we'll, we'll we'll definitely leave a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to like you know check it out and maybe subscribe uh, i i think lum and i would definitely recommend it most definitely and uh, yeah, I guess uh, Emma, if you just want to let people know, you know where they can find you in general, and uh, and yeah. Oh, uh, me in general? You mean like just on the internet, or yeah? Uh, yeah I, I, I yeah. mean, I mean, if that's okay with you. Oh sure, uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, ehanashi. Um, I don't, I haven't been tweeting that much lately, just because I've been busy. Oh but, yeah. But uh, that's generally like I guess that's where. On the internet, I am um, as a location, but yeah, <laughs> feel free to. I guess people could DM me. Sometimes I don't see it, but I generally respond. I try to. So, but yeah, that's generally it. Yeah, and then you could find Fatekia at uh, like v.fatekia.com. And uh, thank you.
Thanks once again to Emma for coming on the show and talking BL and Fudakia piracy and all sorts of awesome topics with us. And we look forward to having her on the show again in the future, hopefully, to talk about even more awesome manga, BL especially. But now it's time for our community shoutouts. And if you want some more BL Rex, well, I've got a podcast for you. The Yaoi Shelf, which is hosted by Mamalo's manga Aisha, who we have on our show for the Cross Manage episode that should be coming out in a couple weeks. But she hosts that show with her friend Aisha Yume, and they discuss the world of BL and discuss some really cool topics, including the piracy conversation in regards to BL and also the idea of problematic content when it comes to BL and kind of the tightrope you have to walk in terms of what is gatekeeping and what is, a, you know, genuinely constructive uh, criticism of problematic tropes. So they've done some really great, fantastic podcasts so far, and they are now available on a lot of different podcast platforms, so you can definitely check them out and give them a listen, because they're really great. For even more BL Rex, I want to recommend Naja over on Blurdy Otome's post on Wholesome BL Reads for your reading list. She recommends not only some great BL manga, but also some American comics that are also BL-inspired, like Check, Please, and Heartstopper. So it's a really great selection of recommendations, and I definitely agree with the choices on that list that I have read personally, and excited to dig into the ones I haven't read. So that's another really great resource to check out some more BL manga. I want to also give a shout out to something that Morgana, friend of the show, is doing on her blog Manga Maven. She's starting a Black Creator Spotlight series, and her goal is to feature Black Creators as opposed to individual works by Black artists to make readers more aware of creators themselves and support individual creators. So it's going to be a series of posts that she's going to be doing, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a great thing to do. So definitely look forward to more on that. And recently, we have kind of had a conversation just in the general comics community space about abusers and predators in the community and just how people in positions of power are not punished for those abuses. And the Salt and Honey podcast had a great conversation on their show on the episode Performance of Power about this conversation and how we've kind of gone through it many different times and how we can actually make sure that these punishments stick and we can actually create a safer space for people in the immunity and not just let these people in power slide until finally it reaches a breaking point as it does and, you know, work to earlier get bad people out and protect people. The Salt and Honey podcast is also doing their own internship where they are going to offer ways to help, you know, developing comics kind of work on their own independent projects. So as part of this internship, they'll offer two months of creative support with bi-weekly meetings and Skype and Zoom. They'll help interns complete their mini comic or graphic novel proposal. They'll give them industry and career advice, comics criticism. And this is an internship open to by people of color. And it basically the only other requirements is that it's, you know, be a cartoonist 
and you aren't enrolled in an art school, you haven't had like a professional comic published, and you've completed some samples of comics work, like mini comics or a long form comic, and you can apply to this internship by emailing them at sultanhoneypot at gmail.com with an introduction, a link to your portfolio, send any comics you have completed as PDFs or links. And also let them know your cartoonist goals, the project you want to be working on during the mentorship, and details to include for your project should be like a story synopsis, your page length, how you intend to publish it. And so they're going to be taking on two mentees, and the deadline to apply is August 1st. So definitely email them or DM them on Twitter for any questions, but this is a really cool opportunity to get an internship from two professional cartoonists. So definitely, you know, check that out. And I think that'd be really, really cool. And in terms of some stuff to kind of wrap up the shoutouts portion, I want to recommend like a really cool one minute analysis of a scene in Naruto, like the famous Sasuke versus Orochimaru scene in the Forest of Death from Peg Brains. It's a one minute analysis of a scene in that fight where Sasuke's head turns in a weird way if you like freeze frame it, if you stop in a certain frame. And what's great about the analysis is that it points out, hey, this is like how you create dynamic motion by having these weird off model exaggerated poses. And what's cool is that they show an example of what the animation would look like with that pose on there and how like stiff and less dynamic would be so it's just a really quick and succinct way to kind of illustrate the importance of exaggeration and going into the unreal when you're doing animation and i thought that was really really cool to be able to communicate that in such a short amount of time in that kind of format I also want to recommend a piece on anime feminist from Rai Kaiser about Yu-Gi-Oh! And basically looking at how Yu-Gi-Oh! looks at systems of power and oppression, but does not really adequately challenge those systems. And instead kind of promotes a system where you play by the rules until you break them, but you don't really challenge the system that is creating these rules and whether those rules are unjust. Basically, really also honing in on the final arc in particular and how it never really challenges how Yugi's family and the pharaoh was responsible for oppression in, you know, ancient Egypt and for, you know, the genocide of Kolelna. Yeah! Basically absolving and washing their hands of it by <laughs> laying the blame on bad apples that are basically been mind-controlled by Big Bag Zork, you know, just kind of sequestering all the bad committed by people in the world into one evil figure and then making the survivor Bakura who should be sympathetic and kind of dresses like a Robin Hood-esque Avenger ultimately succumb to also just being unquestionably evil and corrupted which is also kind of a bad message so it looks in a loving way at some of the areas where Yu-Gi-Oh falters in kind of its commentary on systems of power and it's kind of politics that are at odds with kind of the simplistic good versus evil message of the manga. But also looking, you know, while that is true that the series had these problematic elements, there's stuff to enjoy. And then the creator himself, Takahashi, is a progressive and genuinely 
politically minded person who is like about, you know, promoting, hey, he's anti-war and he's, you know, anti-fascism. And that's been shown in his work since Yu-Gi-Oh! And a commitment to like showing people change and stuff. So in his other works and uh, follow-up illustrations on Yu-Gi-Oh! So it's a, you know, again, a loving analysis of some areas where Yu-Gi-Oh! falters narratively and thematically, but, you know, still there's stuff to glean from that that is so very valuable. Finally, I want to recommend a video from Mr. Fusion, not on Dragon Ball this time. Mr. Fusion is kind of going back to their roots in a way by returning to their Power Rangers Sentai comparison videos from the very beginning with a great video contrasting the first episode of Zoo Rangers with the first episode of the original Power Rangers, which is adapted from Zoo Rangers, looking at how those first episodes accomplished their goals in terms of setting up the premise and story, and actually siding with Power Rangers on this first episode in terms of creating like a compelling plot for viewers to just seamlessly jump into in contrast to the first episode of Zoo Rangers. But it's a really good look at where the two shows differ, what localization changes were made between the two versions, how differently they were edited since Power Rangers took stuff from way later in the show to kind of bring out the big guns in the first episode in terms of the Zords and stuff. It's a really great analysis uh, between the two shows and I'm really excited to, for Mr. Fusion to continue with these comparison style videos of between the Sentai series and the Power Rangers franchise. So yeah, that's a lot of really cool recs for this week and check all of it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot, lot, of, lot of good stuff in there. But yeah, that uh, that does it for community shoutouts and uh, until next time uh I guess as far as what's coming up uh, down the pipeline, uh, again, we, we I think we mentioned it last episode, but uh, uh, again, uh, apologies for, you know, not having up our cross-manage episode again. We, we kind of we kind of honestly took a step back and thought, you know, the, these next two episodes, you know, our, our Love Me For Who I Am discussion and our interview with Emma – uh, were two podcasts that uh, I think we kind of took a step back and decided maybe maybe these should come out first, uh, just because we had been. Uh, I mean, love me for who I am. We kind of wanted to get that out, you know, as soon as, as soon as the actual manga was released. That in our interview with Emma, we've been kind of sitting on for a little bit, so we kind of wanted to get these out first. But uh, our cross managed discussion and blue flag discussions are coming. I mean, you can listen to Blue Flag on our Patreon if you sign up for the $2 early access tier. So if you want to listen to that, it's already on there for you. Yep, that's at patreon.com slash So you can at least listen to that if you're if you're tired of waiting for it. Uh, I mean, as well as our Dreams at Dusk episode, also up early for probably another month. Yep, yep, because we, we have so much coming up that we still have to release that it's definitely going to be a bit before we release that, so you can also listen to that. Um, you know, honestly, it's it's a good thing we have the Patreon now. We can post some of these episodes early for people who are, because um, we've definitely have had, you know, uh, criticism from people who uh, who rightfully, you know, call us out on like how long episodes take sometimes, and uh, this is a good place for us to put them, but uh uh, as far as next time goes, uh, we are planning on talking about the newest four jumpstarts. We already have a new round of jumpstarts to talk about. Um, 
and whatnot. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be fun. And then afterwards, we are planning on putting up our cross manage and blue flag episodes afterwards, uh, for sure. Because uh, we definitely don't want to sit on those for too much longer. But just, just, just putting it out there that they are coming. I promise. We promise. But uh, yeah, until then, um, Lum, where could the people find you? You can find me at Lum Ramiasha on Twitter and wherever there is a Lum Ramiasha. That's where you can find me. Annie List, Animation Revelation, the works. You can read my manga reviews as well on all-comic.com. We've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so check that stuff out there. You can also find on all-comic.com and many podcast platform of choice, Lum Squad, the Yorsi Yatsura podcast that I do with AC. You can check that out. That's coming out monthly now. We record a recent episode. We've got plans for more. So definitely look forward to more. And you can also find the other bonus spin-off podcasts related to the show that I host, which includes Manga Man's ad movies and all that other stuff. Also on all-comic.com and also as part of the Manga Man's feed, of course. And you can find my artwork at Sid Artworks on Instagram and Twitter. If you like the thumbnails for this show, you can check those out and a bunch of the other art I make on there. All right. Yeah, definitely go follow all alum stuff. Uh, as for me, I'm Colting. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a few other podcasts on the side uh, besides Manga Mavericks, uh, which you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have a page dedicated to links to whatever podcast I'm doing at the moment, including uh, One Podcast Prevails, a show that I do with my friend Doctor over at the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast about Detective Conan slash Case Closed. It's always a fun show to do, uh, as well as basically whatever I'm doing over at the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network and whatnot. Um, and b- basically whatever podcast I have hosted in the past, I've finally uh, put up links to uh, some shows that uh, unfortunately I'm just not really doing at the moment anymore. Uh, but yeah, I, I I pretty much have links to uh, whatever I've been able to find so far again at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, I guess as far as the show goes, uh, you can uh, you can pretty much find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first. Again, unless you are a patron over at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. We just mentioned our $2 tier where you can basically have access to uh, early editions of the podcast. That basically means uh, whenever we have an episode uh, edited early. And uh, maybe it's not time to maybe it's not time on the schedule for us to put it up on all comic yet. Uh, that's basically where we will put it up first for you guys to listen to. Again, we have our blue flag and our dreams at dusk episodes up on there already for people who want to check those out as early as possible. Um, and so, yeah, uh, we also have our five dollar tier where if you sign up for it, uh, you can listen to our, our our stash of monthly bonus podcasts. We post one monthly bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, ba- I guess basically for this month, uh, you could check out our review of My Brother's Husband. Uh, we initially uh, talked about the first volume of that when it first came out back in 2017. 
And now, now, now that it's basically all out and available in English, we uh, we invited Maxie back on to uh, to talk about the entirety of the series. It was a really fun discussion, and My Brother's Husband, just in general, is just a really good manga, a really good comic that you all should go read and then uh, listen to our podcast about it, and uh, as well as our uh, our side podcast that we do every month, uh, the Manga Mavericks Book Club. Uh, right now, we are going through the entirety of the Saint Seiya manga from Masami Kurumada, uh with my good friend, Doctor, again from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast. At the beginning of August, that's when we should be uh, starting up, uh, starting up that series again. I'm really excited to talk more Saint Seiya, and uh, if you want to hear my thoughts on Saint Seiya as we go through it for the first time, or as I go through it for the first time, again, that's available at uh, Patreon.com/slash/MangaMavericks. Uh, so p- please sign up for it. You know, if if you're interested in any of our bonus content uh, in general, it's just a it's a really good way to help support us and what we do here at the show. Uh, as for everything else, you can, uh, you can follow all comic on facebook.com slash all dot comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore. But if you want to follow manga Mavericks in particular, you should follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at manga Mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga Mavericks where we post different excerpts of the podcast and whatnot. Even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at uh, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any questions for Emma? Uh, do you have any uh, BL related questions? Do you have any recommendations for any BL that maybe we should read and talk about on the show? In, in, in general, you can email us anything about manga or the podcast, and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails. Again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, or basically wherever you're listening to us. We're on a bunch of different platforms. But, you know, wherever you're listening to us, just, you know, be sure to, like, you know, give us a rating and a review. Um, you know, just let us know what you think about the podcast, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the visibility of our show and uh, just kind of helps us get out to more listeners in general. I prob- That probably means the same thing, but whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's going to be about it. Uh, this, has been a, uh, this has been a pretty good episode, I should say. Um, and yeah, I can't wait for the next one. Again, this has been episode 125 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com and we will see you guys next time for episode 126 bye guys sayonara